Welcome to the Locate 852 podcast, bringing you insights on how you can build and scale your business with social platforms. Hosted by the leading Facebook ad strategist in Hong Kong, entrepreneur, branding expert, and the founder of Locate 852, Chris Chung. Marley, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, it's great to finally be able to connect with you. Um, I know you do a lot of, a lot of great stuff with um, video and, and YouTube and then uh, a lot of different video types of content. Uh, but I know you didn't just stumble upon that. You didn't just start right there. Take us all the way back to young Marley. What was your, how were you as like a kid and what was your upbringing like? Cool question. I always joke when people like talk about that, like, oh, what was it like for you coming into entrepreneurship? And oh, yeah, you know, just overnight success. Like, no, that's never the story. <laughs> um, so growing up, I, I don't know, I was always I used to steal my dad's video camera and make videos like I would I would be reporting the news, which would really just be whatever happened on the playground that day. Um, or I would make little like just videos with my cousins and like vlog, which before I even knew what the word vlog was, what we were doing that weekend. And I would edit it all together and had no idea that one day that isn't that cool how a lot of times you can look back at your hobbies and it somehow became your career. Um, so fast forward, um, out of school, I went to school for dental hygiene, um, because it seemed like the safe thing to do. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I just knew that, you know, dental hygiene was a career that I was like, oh, you can go to work and, you know, work your nine to five, you don't have to take work home with you. So then that would give me the opportunity to figure out what do I want to be when I grow up. So, so at least I was like, okay, well, it makes me good money. I know I still need money for whatever I'm going to do. Um, so I went to school for that. I worked in it for probably like a year and a half and then fell into, um, well, I was working in before that, while I was in school, I worked in radio and television and event management. Um, and I actually put on events for like, I worked with a lot of celebrities, worked with a lot of, um, best-selling authors, which is crazy that like, I was backstage with Gary Vaynerchuk before he was the Gary Vaynerchuk that we knew today. This was when I was like 20 years old. And just, I wish I knew what I was stepping into. It would have been so cool if I just appreciated that more. Um, so anyway, when I was in um, dental hygiene, I saw all these kind of things on the side because I needed that creative outlet. Like you can really only be so creative cleaning teeth all day. <laughs> and you can only have the same like kind of small talk conversations all day, which were just, it like, it was kind of killing me from the inside. Um, so to entertain myself at the dental office, I started doing the dental office's social media on the side, like kind of just making Facebook and Instagram posts about our staff or our office goldfish and things like that. And it started to, you know, do well and get some attention. And then the IT guy at the dental office was like, hey, some of my clients could also use some help with their social media. Would you be interested in helping them? And I was like, sure, I guess what the heck. Well, and then they asked me, how much do you want to charge for this? And I was like, you can make money doing this. What? And from there that opened my eyes to this online world. They started taking on more social media clients. Actually my, the IT guy referred me to all of his clients. So the next thing I know I had a business. I didn't even really know what I was doing yet at the time. Um, and I started making videos, answering some of the frequently asked questions that my clients were asking, like, instead of just over and over again, answering them, I started making videos and being like, Hey, here's a very thorough answer and tutorial that I made on my YouTube channel. Well, that thorough answer also attracted more than my clients. It attracted people all over the world that happened to be searching for the same inquiry. And so my YouTube channel started to get some traction. 
And then I thought, can I do this again on purpose this time? And then could I also do it for my clients and answer some of the frequently asked questions they get about their business? Well, then my social media business turned into a YouTube agency. Wow. To take a couple steps back, how would you describe yourself as a kid? Were you, because how does, how does that correlate to you now where you're, you're very much more confident and uh, in, in front of the camera? Were you the same essentially as, as, as young Marley? Um, yes. And I mean, I, I always loved, I loved dancing. I loved singing. I wanted to be an actress. Um, but I, I remember my mom always being like, ah, it's hard to make it in Hollywood. And it's, it's not celebrities don't like their lives. They don't like being famous. Don't, don't do that. Um, but I still always loved being a, a performer and being on stage. Um, and I actually remember there was this one time that we were at a, like a dinner theater and uh, I got pulled up on stage and I just, I loved it. And I, but I was also a little bit shy. And when I got back down to the table, my mom was like, why are you so shy? Like you, you always say that you want to be in the movies and stuff like that. So I made like a conscious decision from right then. Like if I ever have an opportunity to perform, I got to give it my all because I'd rather give it my all and maybe feel a little bit foolish for whatever, if I look silly, then regret not giving it my all. So I, ever since then, I've kind of just thought if I ever, if I'm ever in front of a big audience or anything, it's just, you kind of push down the fear and just do it anyway, feel it anyway, and just, and just do it. Um, so yeah, as a kid, I, I loved performing. And, um, and one of the things that I just, I, I did not like following the rules. I did not like having people tell me where to be and when to be there, like in school or in jobs. And so no matter what I did, I was always looking for time freedom and creative freedom. Mm. So was that kind of the first, when you were younger at that point, that first thought of like, maybe working for someone else isn't my thing? Was that something that crossed your mind or was it kind of like later in life? Did you kind of really solidify that? I didn't know much about entrepreneurship growing up. Like I didn't, I didn't even, I couldn't even fathom the thought about working for myself because it was just, that's what everyone did. They, they go to school, they get good grades, they go to university or college, get a good job that maybe get two weeks vacation and a certain salary like that. That's what I thought my pathway was. Um, so when I found that I could start working for myself, of course, there were so many limiting beliefs uh, that I'm sure everyone goes through and it takes them some time to take that leap and go all in. Like for me, I felt that having someone else sign my paycheck was security. But what did we learn in 2020 when so many people lost their jobs and out from circumstances beyond our control, we learned that security is when you actually have control over how much you make. And, and also to, to not have someone, like I said, telling you where to be, where to, when to be there and how to do it. Um, so that was, that was a, a big mindset shift for me. And, and I think entrepreneurship exposes all the mindset shifts that we have to experience to get to where we want to be, including the ones that like, we don't even realize, like those subconscious beliefs that we hold on to. Um, when you were around 20 years old and you were starting to, to do the event stuff, um, what are a few of the funny stories that you remember? And what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned? Oh, so fun. Um, well, so I worked around a lot of celebrities, like Lady Gaga and Bono and um, on the marketing side, like uh, uh, I'm trying to think of Malcolm Gladwell, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, like I mentioned, Scooter Braun, who is like the manager of all the, the big Justin Bieber. Yes. Ariana Grande, Demi Lovato. 
um, I was, uh, you know, handling him and getting him backstage and all the things. And, uh, I remember he used my, my lip, my lip balm once. <laughs> and I was like, Justin Bieber's manager used my lip balm. Can I sell this? pre-COVID. <laughs> <Like, laughs> right. <laughs> this was back, like, I must've been 2011 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I was like, can I sell this? Um, but it was also really cool just to see like how real they are backstage. Of course they, and just like anyone, even us as marketers, they were online personalities. You turn on a camera and we got to turn on that personality. And so backstage, you know, away from the light, away from the curtains, um, they're real. Like I was, I was backstage with a, a comedian that, um, Bob Saget, you know, from, from Full House. And he was, he was really active on Twitter and I don't know, maybe he still is, but he was, he was writing some, some jokes for his Twitter. And I remember him just like having me read it and be like, what do you think about that? Is that funny? Like, do you think, do you think people would get it? Would they react or, or are you like offended or what do you think? And I was like, huh, he cares about my opinion or, you know, he thinks about what are people going to think before he posts it. That's interesting. Like he's not just because you see him on this big stage and think that he's, you know, reached millions or billions of people around the world. Like he still has those thoughts too. So I just thought that was pretty cool. Or um, I have a great story about Lady Gaga. Um, there was this one time that uh, one of her her fans, like he used to travel all over to to see her. Like he would go from show to show and wait outside her tour bus and hope that she would see him and she's really personable with her fans. Like she loves, she loves meeting them and she remembers their names if she's met them multiple times, which I just think is so touching to know how many people she meets and to know that she actually has a relationship and a connection with her fans. So, um, we, uh, we were, we had met Lady Gaga outside of her hotel, kind of you know, seeing her there. And she, she gave us tickets to go to her show that night. Um, and this was like, this was when Just Dance came out. So she was, uh, she was pretty new, like not the huge star, but I mean, she was still in, you know, the, she was in the news wearing the crazy clothes back then. People knew who she was, but she was still fairly new. Um, so it was my, me and my colleague. And then also, um, this, this young man who had traveled all over to see her. And so they, she said, go to, you know, go to will call at seven o'clock. Your tickets will be there. Just they're under this name. And so we go there and it's the three of us, my friend, and, and also this, this young man. And so we go up and we say our names and they're like, no, there's no tickets for you. And we're like, oh, what? And they're like, you know, sometimes they're late. Like, don't worry. You can just keep coming back. They're, they'll probably show up. And so we keep going back. No, they're not there. No, they're not there. And we're like, shoot, well, what do we do? You know, we're all dressed up for the show. And, um, and this, this young man has a panic attack and he just like, he's so upset. He's freaking out. He's like, Gaga doesn't love me. And we're like, no, don't worry. They're probably still coming. Like, don't worry. That doesn't mean that. And you know, it's out of her hands. And he kind of freaks out and he just like, he leaves, which was so sad because the ticket showed up. So oh, we no. go get the tickets and we're sitting like front row. Perez Hilton is sitting next to us. We also have backstage passes. And so we go backstage after the show. And, um, and so we're like, we, you know, we go see Gaga, a bunch of people are in line getting autographs and stuff. And we go to see her and she's like, Hey, like Marley, Steve, how are you? And saying hello and everything. And she's like, what did you think of the show? And you know, we tell her we loved it, of course. And she goes, wait a minute, where's Kyle? And like, she remembered, first of all, she remembers our names and she asked like, where's Kyle? She, she expected him there. 
are like, we're so sorry. Here's what happened. He got upset. And she's like, gosh, so heartbroken. And so she takes uh, my, my friend Steve's phone and she calls him from Steve's phone. And she's like, Kyle, I'm so sorry. That was unintentional. That was never supposed to happen. Uh, my manager's going to get in touch with you tomorrow. We're going to fly you out to our next show. And years later at her next tour, we ran into Kyle again. And sure enough, she actually did that. And I just thought, wow, like that, those are the stories that you don't hear in the tabloids or in the celebrity news that, you know, I wish people knew just how amazing she is. And I've met uh, some really nice and I've also met some, you know, maybe, maybe they just had some moments, maybe <laughs> not so great celebrity encounters. Um, but I guess that was, that was something that I learned from, from Gaga. And also Bono was one of the most incredible celebrities I also met that, just like heart of gold, like real genuine people that, you know, I, 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 from my experience, the fame didn't get to them in a, in a bad way. I might've just missed it when you said at the very, very beginning, but how did you get into from, from studying and then get into working with celebrities for, for the different <laughs> events? Um, so I was working in radio and television as well. So I worked in radio and television while I was in school for dental hygiene and even, mm -hmm. and before that. Um, and so <laughs> the funny, so at the, at the radio station, I was often producing like, so if there were concerts, I would go backstage or I would, um, do interviews to get the little clip for the radio show the next morning for their popular morning show. But then I also had uh, some friends of friends that were paparazzis. And in this was back, this was in Toronto in Canada. Um, what these paparazzi would do is instead of these kind of middle-aged grown men approaching the celebrities to ask for autographs that they likely assume are going to be sold, they hire cute young girls like me and ask them to, you know, have them go to meet the celebrity and ask for the autograph which then the paparazzi later sells. Uh, so how long did you, were you in that kind of business up until when you decided to leave? Well, it wasn't actually too long. So I didn't do the paparazzi assistant for too long. Um, but the radio and television thing, I was in, I was in that for, um, for about a year or two. Um, and then I decided to leave that because it was, you know, unstable, <laughs> like my mom had encouraged me and, and warned me about growing up a little unstable and a little cutthroat and a little bit of egos in that industry. And it kind of broke my heart a little bit, but also um, taught me about, about, you know, inner strength and where to get your own self-worth from instead of finding it externally or from uh, opportunities or bosses or the people around you. Did it ever cross your mind when you're in those rooms with these big time celebrities that not everyone gets to be where you are right now. So maybe you should leverage that situation the best of your possibility and, and, and take that and, and better yourself or potentially set up new opportunities from that. I wish I was that mature at that time. <laughs> I think uh, in that moment, if to me, it was really exciting to be around these celebrities for a few reasons. Like, of course, these were people that I grew up watching on TV or listening to on the radio and was just thrilled to be in their presence. Um, but also at the time, I, I honestly was in a place where I was, uh, I found my self-worth, like I said, from the people I was around. So it was like, look at me, you know, if you want to be famous, stand next to it, look at me next to these celebrities. And, um, and I think that that's, that was part of what led me to realizing, oh, wait a minute, that's not, that's not happiness. And that's not your self-worth. 
And there's a lot of people, you know, in any industry really, who, um, who are not happy and money doesn't equal happiness and a level of popularity doesn't equal happiness. Um, so I certainly, I remember especially being in around the celebrities or around the best-selling authors or the speakers that I'd work with. I remember always wanting to get to know them behind their expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember speaking to like Scooter Braun, for example, you know, him being the manager of all these huge pop stars and everything. I, I wanted to know about his relationships. Uh, I wanted to know about what he did that made him so successful. I wanted to know about like his habits and routines and things like that. Cause that's how I also, you know, I wanted to grow in those areas. Um, but I, I certainly look back on that and go, man, I would have asked different questions and I probably would have, um, maybe, I don't know, networked or, or just thought about it differently. I had no idea you know, what that, what I was going to grow into today. But I also, I'm, I also recognize how that did shape who I am today. Like whether it was just kind of maybe something I heard offhand or um, I didn't, you know, for example, one of the events that we used to host was about leadership and I didn't really understand what leadership was. Um, You know, I thought about like, you know, sports teams and there's a leader or whatever, or management at companies. And I never saw, this was at the time where I never saw myself being, a leader of a company or working for myself. Um, so I think that kind of opened the door for me to see like, wait, your, your, um, your desire for time freedom and creative freedom and to like set your own path, that is leadership. And you can also encourage that for other people too. I just, I had no idea at the time. You just mentioned about um, you're fascinated by, by habits and routines and, and, and Scooter Braun. Are there a few commonalities that you found across, you know, all the celebrities and all the people that you've met that are highly successful that are common denominators of why they're that successful? You know, I feel like, and I, it's, it almost seems obvious, but because we hear it so much, it's like, they all wake up at the same, they all wake up early. And, and the big part of that too, is like, they also all go to bed at the same time. And they have this like very structured sleep schedule and then that puts them into a routine but then it's also their sleep and then their food their nutrition which also seems so obvious like these are these are performers or artists or leaders that are making a huge impact on the world like it really should be way more important than than I'm sure that we we just get distracted and then don't think about to really like Alex Sharfman talks about, he's like, you are a million dollar racehorse. Like if you have a million dollar racehorse, are you going to be feeding in junk? Like, no, you are going to make sure that you get the most premium quality nutrition. You're going to have like, make sure that's well-rested and well-exercised and has the, just the top quality trainers. And so that, that was kind of the big things that I thought of, that I, that I recognized was like their daily routines in terms of the structure, but then also who they surrounded themselves with and like what they consume. You know, you think of like, you are what you eat, but also you also are the content you consume and the people that you are around. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the event side of things, then you slowly moved on. Did you then transition? Is that when the dental uh, practice and, and that happened right afterwards? Yeah. So I, like I said, I kind of gotten heartbroken by the industry and was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. It's just, it's this cycle. It's this hamster wheel. And I think that was the beginning of me noticing the patterns in myself of like, you know, finding self-worth externally. Um, so I went, I kind of went back to 
my education, my roots in dental hygiene and knew that this was just going to be a temporary thing while I took the time for some inner exploration and discovery. Um, so yeah, I, I, and I, I really only lasted in it for about a year and a half. And I like slowly started to my time dwindle. I'd like work like four days a week and then three days a week and then left. <laughs> How long were you, uh, starting to work there before you decided to say, Hey, let me mess about with some of these video content and start filming it. Like what, what sparked it? Because there must be a spark that made you randomly pick up a camera and say, Hey, I'm, I want to film this little videos here and there was it something that you saw was it something that you heard it was pretty quick um like I remember meeting that IT guy that I mentioned to you in like the first two weeks of working at at the dental office and he so let's see that was probably like April and by August I had my first client um, and and first client from like finding my videos so it was pretty quick in that maybe like four month window that I started making videos. And even like while I was in school for dental hygiene, while I was working for radio and television and, and these events, um, I was making videos for like, for my social media to show what I was doing and show the behind the scenes. And I had a blog where I was kind of writing about all the things that I was experiencing. So I was always creating content, but I had no idea what for, like there, there was no monetization or marketing behind it. It was just me kind of expressing and learning through, I, I feel like when I write, I process. Mm -hmm. And so, um, writing and, and creating content has been very like therapeutic for me. I feel like everyone always remembers their first client. Um, what was that first client for you? Like, what was that experience? How much did you charge and what, what did you, and what service did you provide? Uh, it was a plumbing company which I thought like, this is going to be awful. So boring. What am I going to talk about toilets and leaky faucets this is going to be terrible. Um, so they, but they were so, they were so wonderful. This plumbing company, it just felt like, it felt like a family. It, it wasn't a family operated business, but the people there, they just loved working with each other and they loved what they did. And it wasn't just about toilets and leaky faucets. It was about like, having a, a, a well-operating home that's safe. And, you know, there's, there's more than when it comes to plumbing, it's not just about your pipes. It's also about like your furnace. And, and I actually years later had a carbon monoxide leak in my house and guess who I called? Like these people, you know, saved my life. Um, at the time I had no idea how, you know, passionate I could be about a plumbing company and know how it would tie back into something that really was a pivotal moment in my life. But um, yeah, so this plumbing company, they, they were wonderful. They were great people. And they cared so much about their business that it inspired me to like, I have to create content to show other people how much these people care about their business. Um, and you asked about how much I charged, which is the funny, funny part of the story is I had no idea how much you should charge for this. Like I, I think I joined a Facebook group probably <laughs> a week after I had already, um, sent out my, my proposal for them. But I was like, I don't know. Okay, so let's say if I spend this much time on it um, and do this much content, uh, $2,000 a month. And that when I joined the Facebook, this social media manager's Facebook group to be like, how much are you guys charging your clients? A lot of them were like, um, uh, like $500 a month. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know where I came up with $2,000. And they said, yes. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with charging $2,000. That's, that's a fantastic price point for a social media manager. 
And if you are someone that is hiring a social media manager, you just make sure that you have the deliverables that's delivering that much value. But that was a really great experience for me because then that gave me the, the profit margins to reinvest in my mm. education so I could become a great social media manager. And, and, I, and I, I also knew that I was charging them at a price point that like they had skin in the game and I had skin in the game. So I needed to get the best results for them. So I, I learned about social media. I learned about email marketing. I learned about video marketing. I learned about YouTube. And I poured that all right back into their business. And I stayed with them like that. They were a client of mine for two years. Um, it might've even been closer to three, but like, you know, I think that's, that says a lot too about how long uh, they, they kept me with them. For your original proposal where you only actually going out there to create the content and film the content for them or what, what, what did that entail? Yeah, it was like, um, I was going to make them daily content for Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, write a couple emails for them every month. And that I would go to their office once a week to take some pictures and videos for that content. Gotcha. And so from that first client then on, how did you then grow to step two, step three, step four? What was the next couple steps? Yeah, a lot of it was word of mouth, especially from this IT guy that I mentioned. Um, and then a lot of it was just me also getting loud about it on my own social media to say like, this is what I'm doing as a service. Um, I started, uh, my YouTube channel, like I mentioned, and, um, and then I also started teaching little courses. Like I, I had clients that would come to me that I'd, I would say, you know, thousand or $2,000 a month. And if they couldn't afford it, I started putting on like little weekly webinars where I would teach them how they could do it themselves. And then that kind of turned into, um, a smaller income, but like, you know, people would pay for little classes, but then there's also word of mouth. Cause if I'm teaching, I must know how to do. So then uh, word of mouth for, for some higher clients. Was there a roadmap that you sort of followed in order to say, Hey, now I should do a course. Hey, now I should do this and that, <laughs> or was it, was it so much of just failing forward? I would say the latter, yeah, failing forward that I was just like, well, what would I need? Like, and, and I, I think that's also really cool to think about when you, at, for you as, a, as an entrepreneur or a service provider or whatever, you are often speaking to a previous version of yourself, right? Like if I think of, you know, who I was three years ago, even three months ago, it doesn't have to be a long time ago. I thought about, well, what would I want? What did I need when I first started out as a social media manager? Well, I found these Facebook groups where I was able to talk with other people, but then I know that I looked for courses to tell me, how do you do this? How do you monetize your social media? How do you grow your, at the time it was like, like for like, that's what I found on Instagram. Like, how do you grow your Instagram? So yeah, I just kind of created like, what would I want? And then I made that. And did you then at that point, were you reinvesting all the money that you've made from the clients into learning and to, into back yourself, or was it, were you using that somewhere else? Yeah, I, I invested in a lot of learning. Um, but then I also started investing in my team. Like I knew that I can't do this on myself. However, I will say like it, it was not quick to start hiring a team because mm. Remember, I didn't know anything about leadership or management. And I also felt like I got to keep all the money for myself. Like I have to, I, and I was still like part-time as a dental hygienist and wanted to keep saving more money before I decided to leave that thinking I needed a big cushion just in case, you know, we always kind of feel like we need a backup plan or something. So, um, so I, I started hiring just like little contract jobs. Um, I found like a little graphic designer to be able to help me with some 
just social media posts. If I could be like, here's the captions, can you design a post for it? Um, or I started hiring, oh, one of my, just the thing that helped me the most was I hired a video editor because video editing is so time consuming. Um, and so that freed up a lot of my time, but I learned how to, how to hire people in a way that was really cost-effective for me and also blessed the lives of these other people. Like I found people in the Philippines. I found people in, um, uh, in South, South Africa, South America, that their cost of living was lower that I could pay a lower price point for, you know, for our cost of living. But these people are, of course, so skilled at what they do. So for me, when I was first thinking like, okay, I got to hire someone uh, and like try to looking at like friends, you know, they'd want like $20 an hour, which I was like, oh, this is more than I can afford. But then I found, you know, some of these sites like online jobs or Upwork where you could find people, you know, that in other parts of the world that asked for like, $3 an hour that you can go, you know what, how about I give you five? And like, they were just, they were thrilled. They were loyal. And some of them I still work with today. Wow. Uh, did you have to provide any sort of training when you were working with these people or were they already skilled enough to, to do the job for you? Well, certainly. And, and that was a learning curve for me too. Cause I think when I first hired people, I expected that, Oh, they say they're a video editor. They're going to be great. Here's the project. What do you mean you didn't do Like, that's not what I asked for. Did I communicate what I was asking for? So um, from there, I like, that's where I started learning about systems and processes and often, and even now, like, doesn't matter where I hire them from. Um, if something goes wrong, it's likely not the person, it's the process. Have I hired them and, and communicated everything in, in fine detail of what I need with the expectations laid out? Have I given them examples? Um, have I given them, you know, just all the right details? And so I started making uh, like editing guidelines, editing templates, editing examples, so that I could very clearly say, here's what this looks like. You know, here's what what the lower third looks like. Here's how long we leave the, the call to action on the screen for so that even if I had multiple different video editors, the quality of the work would look like it was still one person doing it. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. I think system and processes, especially if you're doing something more than once, needs to be developed and refined over the years in order to make sure that that is there's no bottleneck at any given point. Um, for the next step, essentially, you start doing this and taking more clients, making hires. Um, was it a short period of time or was it a longer period of time until you've kind of like, okay, I've made enough. It's, it's, it's going the right trajectory. I should leave my current job now and then double down on this. Um, it probably took, I would say a year from, from starting to find clients and then decide like, and I started slowly reducing my time at the office. So I was like five days a week, then four days, then three days, then two, then like sometimes in here, a Friday here and there. And then finally it was like, you know what? I, the time that I'm spending at the dental, and like, I was, well, I would clean teeth and then I'd run to hide in the bathroom to post some stuff for my clients on their social media and then run back to like clean teeth and then back and forth. <coughs> so yeah, about a, about a year. Um, and were you taking on clients of all natures? Like it doesn't matter what industry or what niche they were in. You just were like, if you need help, I'm the person. Yeah, I hadn't niched down at that point yet. So it was really like I worked with, like I said, the plumbing company. I worked with an electrician. I worked with an optometrist. I worked with a best-selling author. I worked with, um, uh, I don't know, speakers. I worked with um, coach, life coaches, like kind of all over the place. 
and was just like, and it was great though, because that's how I got to learn. Mm. And as much as we can say like niche down and that's how you're going to really, you know, niche down to blow up. That's how you're going to grow your business so much. That was also my training ground. Like that's how I had to learn. What am I good at? And what do I like? Um, and you know what, even now I still work with a variety of clients, but what has niched down is my skill set, like what I really do. So, I mean, I have a YouTube agency and we help people to grow their business and sell their products and services and turn their content into a lead generation machine through YouTube. Now I can serve lots of different clients through that. Um, but yeah, so it's either, I feel like it's either niche down who you serve or niche down how you serve them. Mm. So what was the uh, next step from there? You left your job, you doubled down on this. Um, did you focus on just growing it? Was there, what were, what are some of the experiences and stories that you remember that all the peaks and valleys during then? I remember, okay, so this is actually a great segue because you asked like, did you just work with anybody? And yes, I worked with anybody, including people that were just like, mean just I'm just gonna say straight up mean (laughs) I didn't have boundaries and this was a huge lesson for me in running a business being my own boss you know deciding the the time freedom and creative freedom that I always wanted but I also felt like if I wanted to grow my business I had to say yes to every opportunity because turning down an opportunity seems very counterintuitive when you're trying to grow but that's where I learned actually saying no to something means saying yes to something else. So like I said, I had no boundaries with my clients. I would just say yes to everything, but that also meant saying yes to like scope creep. So if I was just doing their social media and they're like, Hey, can you just do this little thing for me really quick? Oh, Hey, can you, and can you, you know, answer my email at midnight and have this done for me in the next 30 minutes? Like I bent over backwards to my clients because I also wanted them. I wanted their approval. I was a people pleaser. I wanted them to like me and I wanted them to keep paying me. And I, I had this like scarcity mindset that if I said no, that maybe they, they would fire me. And I wanted to keep that revenue. I didn't want to have to go back to my, my job in the dental office. Um, so I got to this place where I was just like, I was constantly in reactive mode. Like if, a, if a notification went off on my phone, it was like, stop everything. Everything's on fire. The sky is falling. Oh my gosh. And, um, like even just thinking about that, it's like, oh, I living in that state, like where you wake up and you already think that like the sky is on fire mm-hmm. is so not healthy. And so I was miserable. I was burning out, but I was also like, I just have to keep doing this. I just have to keep pushing. This is how it goes. Like I, this is what I signed up for. I'm a business owner now. Now this is what it's like. No, it doesn't have to be like that at all. Um, and I was really uh, grateful that I had a good community of other um, entrepreneurs around me to kind of call this out in me. And I think that's really important to have in, in, in life in general, doesn't have to just be an entrepreneurship, like good people that are willing to call you out and call you up to be like, Hey, this actually isn't a healthy pattern. Um, and so I had to make a really difficult decision about six months in to be like, I have to reset everything in my business. I have to fire the clients that I, like, I completely take responsibility. I have not set boundaries with, I have taught them that it's okay to treat me like this. I have taught them that it's okay me at any hour of the day or night. And now I have to change that. And so I had to, I, I let go of like almost half of my clients, uh, maybe even more than half. And it got me to a place where I was like, kind of in fear about like, what do I do about my revenue? You know, I left my nine to five, left my job. And I, I've now let go of half of my clients because I, I couldn't, 
I couldn't afford to, but I couldn't afford not to. Like, Mm -hmm. I knew that if I kept going down this path, I was going to like, just completely burn out and maybe get myself sick. And I was miserable. It was like desperation had to change. Um, but then I also, I like, I truly believe that like when you create space by reducing, by eliminating negativity or what's not meant for you, that, that space can't just be left empty. Like it has to be filled. Opportunities showed up, people showed up. Um, and within weeks, like I was worried that I was going to have to, you know, maybe put money on my credit card or borrow or something, but I got client, like I got two clients or something that paid me more than I had ever made before. And it was like, that was my highest revenue month ever. And, and that was, I have to look to that as evidence in any time in my business where I ha- where I make a, a, a risky decision or take a leap to be like, this has always worked out for me in the past when it was for the intention of, you know, taking care of myself, putting my self-care first, and also serving clients that I feel like are in alignment with who I am and what I want. Wow. I think I've experienced the, the, the very much the same when, when you mentioned about waking up and, and guessing that the second you tap your phone, there's going to be 10 emails about people that are, this has gone wrong. That has gone wrong. That, that brings right. back a lot of memories. Um, for, uh, once you were, you fired half of your clients and then you've only focused on, on the, the good half and you start getting bigger and better opportunities. Um, is, was it, was that time, the time where you focused on strictly on YouTube and also video, or were you still doing some of the other stuff? That was actually my segue, I think, which was fantastic. Um, one of the big clients that I mentioned that came in, in this month, um, where I thought that I was going to, you know, have my lowest revenue turnout being my highest revenue. One of them was, um, a very high level executive coach. And I had been doing YouTube for myself and for some of my little local clients. And she, like her content, she was, you know, she's also a best-selling author. She, she was doing really well for herself online. And I was like, do you realize how much you grow and how, how much more impact you can make if you were also on YouTube? And so I started helping her with that at a distance. Like she was in, I was in Canada, she was in North Carolina. And I would send her like, here's the ideas for the content. Here's your outline for your scripts, film this, and then send it back to me. And I'll take it, I'll send all the, create all the footage and, or I'll edit all the raw footage and take it from there. And, um, and so that worked for, for a good amount of time. And she, we were growing her YouTube channel. It was fantastic. And then she was like, you know what? I have an idea. Like, can we just, can we just like film a bunch of this content all at once so that I don't have to keep sending you new content every week? And that's where I started learning about batch filming. Cause I was the same that I would film. Like I would wake up every Sunday, Sunday, which is supposed to be family day, but here I am at this time. I didn't have boundaries for myself either. And so I would be like, okay, I got to film a video for my YouTube channel. Okay. What should I make? Um, okay. I'll make a video about, uh, about Instagram. Okay. What kind of topic? And I'll write this. And I like, I'd create the title and the script and I'd set up my filming equipment. And then I would film myself with like no outline. I would just kind of ramble all over the place. And then I would like edit it. It would take me a whole day to make one video. But then when this client was like, oh, it's just hard, like sending you all these every once in a while, can you just do like a bunch in one sitting? That was an epiphany for me to be like, oh, that makes so much sense. Like batch the titles, batch the scripts, batch the filming, batch the editing, batch the publication. Um, And then that that's where everything changed, where I went from being a social media manager to a YouTube agency 
And for the next like two years, I was flying all over the United States from client to client. I would spend like three days with them and create six months of content. And we would create all of their YouTube content within these three days. And then I'd go to the next city for the next client. And it was like, I was on tour all the time, just creating YouTube content. Um, and that's, that's like, that's how everything shifted from you from, from social media to specifically niching down into YouTube. Wow. I think this is a very, very good segue into the next question, which is more so of a tactical question. Um, with working with so many people and you having to batch everything within, you know, from client to client over this very, very short period of time, how did you come up with the ideas for different clients for different pieces of content? And is there a structure that people should follow if, if they are trying to create content themselves? Yeah, well, and, and coming up with the ideas was actually pretty simple. And I think it just, it comes down to learning your audience and what they want. And of course you can think about like I said, you sometimes you're often serving the previous you. So you can think about what did I need? Um, but more importantly than that, because we don't want to create content based on hope or based on intuition. Uh, we want to create based on what our audience is actually asking for. So we look at what are the frequently asked questions that I get on social media? What are people searching in the search engines? Like we can look at tools like SEMrush or answerthepublic.com to see what are people actually searching for and create videos on exactly that. What are the videos on YouTube that are that have a lot of views that obviously people are, are looking for that kind of content. And then we just make content answering that exact inquiry or question as well. Um, and then as for like, how do we deliver that content? Um, yes, we do have a framework for, for creating the content in a way that people are going to keep watching. Cause like I mentioned, I would just turn on my camera and ramble. Well, that like, I'm, I'm not, an eloquent enough speaker to be able to just ramble about something and somehow it fall into place and make sense. Um, so we create a formula where, you know, you introduce yourself, you introduce the topic of the video, and then you tease what's coming up in the video. So um, we call them content hooks, where you're saying like, what's going to be revealed if you stay through to this video. So you could say things like, hey, I'm going to share with you my top five tips to losing weight without diet pills, shakes, or even exercise. Uh, and make sure you stick around for tip number five, because if you miss number five, everything, one, two, three, four, are not going to work. So make sure you stay around for the whole video. Ah, okay. So then, and then you just go one step at a time. Okay, reveal number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. Then at the end of the video, you kind of recap and then lead into your call to action um, where you then direct them to maybe a lead magnet or a webinar or a Facebook group or something so you can continue the relationship. Wow, I know you've now developed a, a, a much bigger agency compared to where, where when you first started. Um, you've spoken on stage with, with Russell and Tony. Um, what are the main clients that you now focus on serving? And then how do you how do you structure that in order to give them the most amount of impact? So the clients that we work with um, are typically people that are like coaches, consultants, um, service-based businesses. People that uh, typically they need to be online and they need to be an attractive character of their business. Uh, if someone comes to me, they're like, I want to have a YouTube channel because I know it'll grow my business, but like, I'm afraid of the camera. And can you do this? Like without me being the face, I can't No, because also people fall in love with people. Like we, you think about any company or brand or person that you invest in, like you, you do because you are emotionally invested in them before you financially invest in the program or the product or the service. Um, so yeah, we find that like we can really we can really serve our clients, especially when 
they, I mean, their expertise, really any, anything is being searched for on Google and on YouTube these days. And like Google and YouTube are search engines. So that's what we have to think about is what are the people searching for that we would want your content to be showing up in those search results? Like I have videos that I made back in 2016 when I first started, like when I was still a part-time dental hygienist answering these questions, um, that these videos are still showing up at the top of search results. So these videos that I made in 2016 are still generating leads and sales for me even years later. Um, so yeah, that's like, that's the most exciting thing about how we serve our clients is we're creating content machines for them. Like you think about when you do a Facebook live or an Instagram live or something, it disappears after some time with YouTube, it doesn't go anywhere. I know you work with so many different clients and some are obviously good and some are obviously great. What do you think are the big distinguishing factors between, you know, the good content creators and then the great ones? That's such a cool question. And I think it really comes down to them having like a really strong stance in their message um, and really knowing who they and their audience are. Like I think of um, Alex Sharpen, who is one of my favorite entrepreneurs, content creators, a mentor and friend to me. And when I first found his content, the reason why I became so captivated with it is because I felt like he was in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never even met this man before, but it's like, he knows all my problems. He knows what keeps me up at night. It's like, he's just, he completely understands me. And I think anyone listening can, can say that too, that the kind of content that they resonate with is the content that they feel understood just by hearing it. Um, so the content creators that stand out the most are the ones that know their audience better than their competitors, better than anyone that they can really speak their language. Um, and the ones that are willing to take a stand for something, even if it's polarizing, even if it's controversial. Um, and often that can mean throwing rocks too at, at what they don't believe in being an advocate for their audience and standing up for their audience and, and defending their audience. Um, Amongst all the content creators on YouTube and people that you work with in 2021, almost 2022, what are some of the common mistakes that you see a lot of beginning entrepreneurs make when it comes to videos? Um, so <laughs> I kind of have this joke in my community. We actually have t-shirts that say hashtag stop the pop. And what I mean by that is how often, and I have done this, you have done this. I'm certain that everyone has done this. Um, so I'm not, I'm not making fun of anyone, but I'm just making us aware of this because when we are aware of what we're doing, we can decide to change if we want to. Um, how often have you seen someone start a video with, hey guys, just popping in real quick, <laughs> right? All the time. Why That's do we funny. do that? Why do we do that? Is it because we see everyone else do it? So we kind of just unconsciously take on these behaviors. Absolutely. But I also want to point out like the, the subtext to that. Hey guys, just popping in real quick. It almost feels apologetic. Hey, I'm just popping in. Don't worry. I won't take long. I just, I don't want to take up space. It almost feels like, you know, I, I just finished saying how the best content creators are the ones who, who show up powerfully, they take a stand for what they believe in. And if someone starts the video with, 
hey guys, just popping in real quick. They're, they're trying to say popping as in like, I'm just going to, I'll only take a second of your time. I'll be real quick. Don't worry. I'm not trying to inconvenience you. And on top of that, it's also repetitive of what everyone else is doing. So it's like, I want to hear your unique voice and I want to hear you come in with a strong hook, something that's going to really capture my attention in the first three seconds or else I'm gone. And, um, and I totally recognize that the, Hey guys, just popping in real quick is sometimes for us to ramp ourselves up. Mm -hmm. It's like for us to like, it's, uh, it's welcoming ourselves to the camera. Um, so for that, just to kind of like amp yourself up before you hit record and then start with your powerful phrase. Hey, I'm here to tell you how you can lose 10% of your body weight every month without diet pill shakes or exercise. I have five things I'm going to tell you. Don't miss the fifth one. Here we go. Like how much more powerful would that be in the exact same time? It would have taken you to say, Hey guys, just <laughs> popping in real quick. I love that. I love that. My last question for you is if you were to be stripped away of, of your money resources and network today, and you have to start all over again tomorrow, what are the first three things you would do and why? I love this question. And I've thought about this too, from like a personal standpoint, like if, if you're stripped of your money, your career, like who, who are you? And do you, do you know who you are without those things? Like are the people, the relationships, right? Anyway, I, I really love that question. Okay. So what would I do? Um, I would, I mean, I'd still go right back to YouTube because YouTube is building a long-term traffic asset. Um, I would still, I would take that YouTube content and I would repurpose it for other social media platforms so that I can create the presence on all platforms. Um, I, I think that search engine content is really important. So YouTube being a search engine, I got that covered. I would also have a blog for written content because sometimes people like skimming through through written content instead of watching videos. So I would do that as well. Um, and I would network like crazy. I would go, I would meet everyone I can. I would provide a ton of value. Um, I would have a high ticket product or service because the fastest way to grow would be through having something that's going to give you higher profit margins. Like if, if you want to get to $10,000 $10, a month, which is often people's first milestone, guess what? You could sell one client, a $10,000 a month package. And then from there, you have the profit margins, the resources to be able to keep reinvesting and growing. So yeah, YouTube, search engine content, networking, and selling high ticket. Marley, thank you so much for being on the show. For the people that want to keep up with what you're doing, potentially even work with you, where's the best place to find you? Awesome. Uh, YouTube.com slash Marley Jacks. Of course, I have tons of content there. Um, and Instagram.com slash Marley Jacks. I respond to all Every single DM that I come across, I respond to all my messages myself and would love to chat with anyone there. Marley, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.